All right, welcome, folks, for this segment of the podcast. We're joined by Andy Sheckman, a fan favorite. He's the CEO of Miles Franklin, which is a precious metals dealer and retailer. And Andy Sheckman has been nailing it, just nailing it for months in interviews, uh, talking about the BRICS nations, the de-dollarization of the world. And because there's been a lot of breaking news over the last couple of weeks about de-dollarization, about uh, rupee-ruble exchanges, ruble-yuan exchanges, uh, wealthy people pulling all their metals out of the London Metals Exchange and so on, I had to get Andy back on to talk about all of those things. Time is short, so I'll bring him right in. Andy Shackman, welcome to the interview. It's great to have you back on, sir. It is great to be here, Mike. I've uh, uh, missed our conversations, and uh, the, the last two we had were fantastic. I was looking forward to coming back and picking up where we left off. Well, the timing turns out to be perfect. I know you've gone to conferences like the Rick Rule event and so on, and you've been gathering a lot of intel. But the, I would say the number one thing is that you have been proven right. Just reading the headline news, it's kind of like, Andy Sheckman told you so. Andy Sheckman told you so. Like every day, it's it's like that. It's astonishing, but good calls, man. Thank you. I appreciate that. It's a little. It's almost strange, Mike. Uh, you know, putting this narrative together and seeing it unfold the way that I had thought. Um, it's strange. That's all I can tell you. I mean, it, it's on one hand rewarding to have seen something playing out and 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 figured it the right direction, but. It is, uh, it's almost eerie the way that it's all playing out, the way that we had thought it would. Well, uh, give us a quick review for those viewers who maybe haven't followed your interview so closely. Give us a quick overview of what you were describing with the de-dollarization, the BRICS nations, the, you know, the new perhaps replacement for the petrodollar status and so on. Just, just a quick overview of that, and then we'll get into what's been happening over the past couple of weeks. Yeah, you know, I, we I've been talking about for for quite some time now the fragility of the dollar system, uh, the the world reserve status for the dollar being granted to us largely in part to the protection of the Saudi Kingdom and the dollar hegemony granted to us by by OPEC uh, by denominating oil globally in dollars, the the infrastructure that has been uh, been been put together over the past few years, which seems to be pulling away from that agreement. Uh, the Belt Road Initiative, connecting 75% of human population, uh, industrializing Asia and Africa, parts of Europe, the old Silk Road route. 75% of human population, the U.S. is not part of it. 45% of global GDP. The digital yuan that is settling all of the trades and all of the contracts on the Belt Road Initiative Certainly, the joint military cooperation agreement struck between Russia and Saudi Arabia and Nigeria and Russia being a big, big um, uh, exclamation point in the fragility of this dollar hegemony. Of course, we talked about the weaponizing of the dollar by kicking Russia out of SWIFT and just exactly what that meant. Um, incentivizing things such as China selling seven months in a row, our, our U.S. Treasury is uh, totaling somewhere in the neighborhood of $120 billion. And the moving away from the dollar, and, and since we've had this discussion, Mike, so many new things have um, popped up that continue to travel down this, this same narrative, if I may. Um, we have the Iran-India uh, North 
uh, North-South Corridor, which is a passageway, if you will, between India and Iran, or India and Russia, past Iran. It is um, uh, another example of trade routes and agreements being struck outside the dollar, the big one being Egypt uh, and Turkey to join Saudi Arabia, and, uh, excuse me, to join Saudi Arabia, to join the BRICS nations. Egypt, Saudi Arabia, and Turkey to join the BRICS nations. Huge, huge deal. Um, you know, you're, you're talking about somewhere in the neighborhood of 90% of human population. Well, it's, uh, joining. it's extraordinary that we're, we're watching these nations build trade routes and they're building financial exchange systems. I saw some economic minister of India announcing just the other day the ruble-rupee exchange system that does not use dollars at all. So India, China, and Russia are doing all this trade, and you mentioned Turkey and Iran and so on, whereas the Western nations seem to be focused on just money printing, consumption, and then financialization instruments that are just sort of fake GDP. You know, it's like, oh, we, we created money out of nothing, or we created transactions of the money out of nothing. But the the real commodities, the energy, the oil, the minerals, the food, the fertilizer, it's, it's all coming out of the BRICS nations, it seems like to me. Is that accurate from your point of view? 100%. Uh, in fact, Zoltan Pozar, uh, the, the um, uh, New York Fed uh, repo market expert, came out recently and called this uh, Bretton Woods 3, a system dominated by commodities, not by debt instruments. And you're exactly right. The the nations that are coalescing uh, are all very, very rich in commodities. And, you know, whether you're talking oil, natural gas, precious metals, um, the the uh, the majority of the world at rare earth metals, the, the majority of, of the world's commodities are certainly um, accumulated. And, and um, not only that, but also uh, produced. In, in these nations. So, yeah, absolutely. It's it's very concerning when you can see, you know, the term the fallacy of composition, where the individual parts in and of themselves are not as strong as they are as a whole. Well, you put all of these groups together and in everything from economy to military uh, to natural resources um, and to rallying against a common um, a common cause if you will, and that is breaking the West, uh, the Western hegemony, and, well, and in it, their mind, the hypocrisy. It, it also, I'm sorry to interrupt, Andy, but it also seems like the West is is just breaking down in terms of things not working. For example, the the new, I think it's an aircraft carrier out of the Royal Navy, um, it doesn't work. It's just anchored. <laughs> it just it doesn't sail. Some emergency. It's like broken uh, ships now. And then the the Prime Minister of Belgium just came out a couple of days ago, and he told his people that, yeah, we understand you're going to be, you know, freezing and starving this winter. I'm paraphrasing, obviously. And then he added, but don't worry, you'll only have to endure this for five to ten more winters. <laughs> I'm thinking, is this guy insane? You're telling your people you're going to have to freeze and starve for ten winters, and that's good news? It's just the West is breaking. Yeah. Uh, I would argue the West is already all but broken, and um, uh, you know, if you look at the Western the Western nations, they're insolvent. They're broke, every one of them. Um, Japan, Canada, the Euro, and it's interesting too. You know, if you take a look at the European countries, 
when I had originally come come on your show and talked about the uh, 2017, the, the the central banks that were repatriating all of their gold um, from from the New York Fed, a lot of them were the Eastern European countries, such as Turkey and Poland and Hungary and the Czech Republic. And, um, you know, these are the countries that not only are continuing to massively accumulate gold, but they're also the countries that are part of the European Union, but do not trade the euro. They trade their own currencies. So I truly do believe that you will also see a splintering of the euro, where the countries who are on the fringe, uh, who are, um, I think, disenchanted with um, the whole Western system in and of itself, will move over to the BRICS nations as well. You're looking at a coalition, really, of the majority of human population. And this is where it becomes very concerning to me. And I, and I think that's why the Fed is nothing but a sideshow. And the real, real picture is in the coalition of all of these countries against a, a, a you know, following the same rallying cry. And, and I think the drum beats louder and louder and louder. And, and you're right. You were talking about the, the Indian um, uh, announcing of using rupee for import and export payments. Look, we're their largest yeah. trading partner. And for seeing something like that, that's a big deal. It's another nail in the coffin of the dollar hegemony. Well, the I couldn't other- agree with you more. The concern that I want to run by you here, too, is that, you know, Western nations like, let's say, the U.K., Germany, and the United States and so on, they're experts at printing money and using debt and even floating debt internationally in exchange for goods and services. That's the way it has been. But now we're coming to the point where people are realizing, especially in Germany or Poland, for that matter, you can't print heat. Uh, You can print currency. You can't print electricity, you can't print natural gas, you can't print food. So at some point, all the money in the world doesn't heat your home, and you have all those people lining up in Poland, sleeping in their cars for three days to try to get, a, you know, a pallet of coal because they don't want to uh, freeze to death this winter. Uh, well, no question about that. No question about that. And and that, that certainly is going to incentivize some real heavy-duty thinking. But – you know, one other thing, too, Mike, and, and that is maybe the biggest development of all, aside from all of these countries joining the BRICS, was three weeks ago they came out and said that they are brewing up a, a challenge to dollar dominance by creating a new world reserve currency. And so now they've come out and publicly said that the BRICS nations are issuing a new world reserve currency. And so you put it all together, you're seeing this this massive drive away from dollar hegemony. And I think a lot of these countries are going to realize that, you know, better to get on the side where where you're right, where, you know, commodities and, and the ability to uh, to um, uh, not make your point and freeze to death at the same time certainly, I think, has a little bit of appeal. And uh, I think there's going to be a rubber meets the road moment here at some point. I don't know what that tripping point is, what, what flips the switch, but I do think it's getting closer and closer and closer. And it's as if we incentivize the the um, acceleration of 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 this decision by you know by weaponizing the dollar and by every decision we seem to make these days it just seems to be the wrong one or or perhaps it's it's the intended <laughs> one perhaps yeah. this was all thought out and this was a controlled demolition that you know they figured what the consequences really would be one of the milestones that you've pointed out and that we've got to share with our audience here is these 
massive drawdowns of physical gold and silver. And you mentioned to, uh, this to me before we started recording, too, the, the COMEX drawdown, London Metals Exchange, the LME drawdowns. What's happening is all, all these wealthy clients that own physical gold and silver, not just individuals, but in some cases institutions and nations and so on, they're requesting the physical metals to be withdrawn. Now, why why is that happening? And I read that in one day, something like 40% of the silver was drawn down off the London Metals Exchange. It was, am I remembering that correctly? Was close. it something like that? Close, close. Well, what you're talking about, I mean, there, there are three different platforms. There is the where we're seeing drawdowns. We're seeing the massive amount of silver leave um, the London Metals Exchange. And since, you know, since um, the silver squeeze, we've seen well over 100 million ounces withdrawn, not only off the COMEX, but off the London Metals Exchange, huge amounts of silver being withdrawn off the London Metals Exchange. But what you're talking about, also, real quick, before I talk about what you're talking about, we've seen a tremendous amount of gold and silver being backdoored out of the SLV and GLD ETFs. And this is uh, is a way for them to very quietly, without without any real um, documentation, it's called share redemption. 100 million ounces has been withdrawn over the past four months out of SLV. 20 million ounces over the last week, 60 million over over the last month. You're seeing huge amounts of silver redemptions out of SLV, and the only ones who can do that are the authorized participants like the commercial banks. But what you're talking about is something that really piqued my my interest, and that was um, 174,612,000 ounces of kilo bars taken off the Chicago Mercantile Exchange in one day. And these are the kilo bars, uh, not the big 100 or 400 ounce gold bars, the, the good delivery bars that we typically see sovereigns take. These would be the bars that I believe are being taken off by the sovereign wealth funds and the family offices. Let's call them the most well-funded and well-informed influential private traders on the planet. But to put this into perspective, the 50-day average rate of gold withdrawal, because of this drawdown, hit a new high of 131,293 ounces. So to give you an idea of what that means, and that's about $235 million worth of gold, but 131,293 ounces of gold on average has been withdrawn from the COMEX every day for the past 50 days, totaling 174,612,000 ounces. And so you're talking, um, you're talking the biggest money in the world, private money, is draining um, uh, the COMEX market. In terms of silver, seven months in a row we've seen – uh, silver uh, being literally ripped out of COMEX. And, you know, you're talking about 182 million ounces over the past 12 months have disappeared off of COMEX well, in where, silver. Where is this? Because this these are physical gold and silver redemptions and withdrawals. Where is this going? Like just massive vaults of wealthy people? Or where is it going? Yeah, well, that's the question. I think it's not so much as where is it going as why is it leaving? Why is right. it leaving the exchanges? And it's as if, you know, something uh, wicked this way comes, if you will. And when you look at the, what the big money does, as, as you and I were talking before off air, they're always closest to the information. They know what's coming. It's like in 1933 when gold was confiscated. Many of the very wealthy were cued into this and, and clued into this, and they sent their 
gold by steamship to the safe deposit boxes in Europe. They were they were told, hey, something's coming. Well, it looks as way as though something is coming. And I want to just touch on one other point here. When you put all of this into perspective, this massive drawdown in physical on top of all of these infrastructure deals coming and world reserve currencies challenging the dollar, <clears throat> we then see Russia proposing a new international standard for trading precious metals. Now, this is how the whole system breaks right here, is that if Moscow gets what they want, and, and when they when they wrote about this, they said, you know, they need to find an alternative to the London Bullion Market Association, as they put it, would systematically manipulate precious metals markets to depress prices. Well, they understand this. And in fact, they understand it very, very well. And in fact, when in 2004 and five, when GATA, Bill Murphy and Chris Paul, the Gold Antitrust Action Committee, had a, uh, a conference in the Yukon, Putin sent his number two economic guy at that point to the conference. They have understood for a very long time that the West suppresses the price of metals. Well, the Eastern countries who have been accumulating it haven't complained because they've been accumulating it. But now that they've accumulated such massive stockpiles, they want a new exchange to set the price. So here's how it breaks, just like this. All of this metal that's that's leaving, let's look at the 175 million ounces of gold that's been withdrawn. Well, what if the 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 new benchmark in Moscow, which would challenge the COMEX uh, for supremacy, pegs gold, let's say, at 2,000 an ounce right away, immediately, instead of the 1750 that COMEX tells us we have. And they say 2,000 right now. All of that metal would immediately leave the COMEX vaults and arbitrage its way over to the vaults in uh, in Moscow, to the new exchange. That, that 175 million ounces could then be multiplied by $250 arbitrage. And how right. fast would it bleed dry the Western vaults where immediately everything moves eastward? Who then holds all the gold and silver? And then they make the rules. So I think you were on a precipice, if you will, of real, real change, not only in dollar hegemony, but also in the way that these markets behave because they will break free from the Western manipulation. And that's exactly what the folks in Russia who are proposing this, I think, have planned. And, and these are the countries, the BRICS nations, who have been the largest importers, producers, and accumulators of gold and silver and, and most of the world's commodities. They're the ones that will benefit, and they've benefited by playing the Western game, by accumulating as much as they possibly could at depressed prices. But when the switch flips, uh, it, it's going to be it's going to be something to behold, Mike. And I and hope people have taken the time to play this this game just the way that the central banks are playing the game to accumulate it on the cheap at subsidized prices. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about that in a second. We're going to come back to that point, but I want to throw in something here. Wasn't uh, talk about market manipulations. I'm pretty sure the London Metals Exchange. That's the group that rigged the price of nickel, or I think what they did is they reversed. Thousands mm -hmm. of settled contracts of nickel in order to protect one particular hedge client that was losing billions of dollars, and I think that was a China-linked client. Does that does that ring a bell? Didn't that happen a few months back? That's exactly right. It was the first time in 140 years, I believe, that the London Metals Exchange did something like that. They invalidated a trade, and at that point, I think it it 
it literally rendered the London Metals Exchange a fraud because uh, they bailed out one very, very large short position. Now, it's very interesting that you say that because if you take a look at what's happened since that day in gold and silver, it's as if the commercial banks received a wake-up call. From that day where they invalidated a trade on the London Metals Exchange, that nickel market trade, where they bailed out a, a very China, a large Chinese short position. And you see, in the exchange, when something like that happens, it is the obligation of all the, the, the members of the exchange to make the, the exchange whole, to keep it uh, trustworthy and to, to not invalidate its, um, its, you know, its legitimacy. Well, they didn't. In fact, they, they invalidated the trades. But since that day, the commercial banks have covered a tremendous amount of short positions. It's as if they they hoodwink the managed money by driving down the price of gold and silver into going record short and capitulating their long positions, which if you look at the COMEX market from that day, which was the high point, all-time high in gold, the commercial banks have driven the price down far enough uh, in a short period of time, to begin, like roughly the um, uh, in March. They drove the price down so hard with such ferocity that the, the managed money in large part capitulated. And right now, the commercial banks hold basically the, the smallest short position they have ever, ever had in COMEX gold and silver, while, while as the managed money has done the dirty work for them and driven the price down to record low levels, maintaining the largest short position they've ever had. It's as if they've hoodwinked the managed money into going short. And if you told me, that we would see a massive squeeze, a rally higher as the managed money gets squeezed, as the commercial banks have took the opposite side, I would tell you we are very, very close to that happening. All signs in every direction are pointing to this type of a massive move forward, and in particular, when the most well-funded and well-informed traders on the globe, the commercial banks, are record long and have a the smallest short position, they've ever had in COMEX coinciding with that day, because I think that was a wake-up call where, the, where they must have said, look, if this can happen in nickel and your short position in gold and silver is many times the size, get your house in order right now. And that's what it seems like is, yeah. has happened. Well, and remember that there were thousands of other traders that were on the other side of that nickel short position. Yep. And those traders were making money on that trade while the Chinese guy forgot his name. He was losing billions, but a bunch of other people were making money. And then when the LME said, oh, we're going to invalidate all that, basically they handed losses to all these people who had bet correctly in essence. And and that yep. if the markets don't function, then they don't function. I mean, it's not a marketplace. It's not even a casino. It's it's like a carnival where every every competition is rigged. It's well, and that's here again. Here again, the West is incentivizing the world to move away from our system. When you see this type of corruption and hypocrisy, when you see this type of ineptitude, um, and and you know whether it be weaponizing the dollar or or bailing out rigged markets, I think the world is seeing that it's time for a change. And whether or not we want to agree with that, um, I think the world is is voting with their feet and voting with their unity. They are all coalescing against a, a common thread, and that is the, the Western dominance of the markets and of currency. And 
in and of themselves, they don't have the power to do it, but coalesce, they sure do. But the other upshot of what you're saying here is that right now, especially silver, but also gold, are artificially discounted where people can still accumulate them at prices, you know, in terms of dollars, let's say, prices that are below where the intrinsic value would likely be set if the markets were functioning uh, freely. And, and so that's why so many people are, are right now seeing these are purchase opportunities. Now, and by, I'll let you comment on that, but I always give people a warning. I don't ever tell people to buy gold and silver as a speculation saying, oh, it's going to go up. My strategy is always that this is a way to just freeze your value and not lose more. Because people are losing in housing, they're losing in stocks, bonds, treasuries, you know, inflation, everything. But gold and silver are a way to not lose. And that's the whole purpose in my mind, not speculation. But what are your thoughts? Absolutely. In fact, I have never sold gold and silver ever as a, as a vehicle to get wealthy. To me, gold and silver are wealth. They're wealth that has outlived two world wars, German hyperinflation, the Great Depression, and every pandemic. And I think anyone who buys gold and silver or companies that sell it on a premise of getting wealthy is 100% missing the whole picture. Yeah. And uh, you're right. I don't, I don't think people should ever buy metals to get wealthy. There are plenty of investments out there where you can do that. What gold and silver are is wealth, period. And that is exactly the way that I look at it and have since day one that I've been doing this. When I started my company 33 years ago with my father under one rule, and the only rule he told me as a 19-year-old kid 33 years ago was you'll buy something every two weeks, period. And and that that's how you'll save. And and that was the best gift anyone's ever given me, the concept of paying yourself first and saving. And to this day, I don't look at the gold and silver that I've accumulated every two weeks for 33 years as an investment. It's my wealth. Yeah. That's exactly how I look at it. And that's exactly how the biggest money in the world looks at it from the central banks on down. It's not an investment, it's wealth outside of this fracturing Western system, that oh. this experiment in Keynesian economics that's coming to an end. There's something else uh, about the Vatican I want to tell you in a second. But first, uh, just for those listening, um, Andy, your, your company is not a sponsor of uh, – you know, this is not a sponsorship interview, but I have you on because of your expertise. However, if people want to contact you about precious metals, uh, can you give us the way that they can do that? Yeah, absolutely. And, 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 and he's just so people know, you know, Mike is the kind of guy that anyone would like to have a sponsorship with. And so, um, yeah, I, I understand that. And, um, I'm, I'm very grateful for being on your show. I, I'm a big fan. I watch everything you put out. And so thank you for that. Um, as far as people wanting to reach out to me, yes. Um, our new website is about two to three weeks from being completed. In the meantime, Send us an email at info at milesfranklin.com. Um, mention that you came from Mike, and we'll send you a updated inventory sheet. We'll make sure you get the best price in the country. Our website is milesfranklin.com. It is operable at this point, but or operating. But the, the new one with uh, the ability to purchase online is about two to three weeks away. Our current site, uh, our online store, is inoperable. Uh, but uh, indeed, info at milesfranklin.com, and we will send you an updated sheet and answer, a price sheet and answer any questions that you have. So I do very much appreciate being here and uh, the opportunity to share that with everyone. Well, 
I'll tell you, Andy, we, we appreciate your knowledge and your foresight. And, again, you've been right just over and over again. Now, uh, let me run this other story by you in the couple minutes we have left. I was shocked by this. I want to know what you think of it. CatholicNewsAgency.com reported on this. I mentioned it yesterday. Pope Francis instructs all Vatican entities to move all funds to the Vatican Bank by September 30th. No joke that all Vatican funds have to come into what's called the Works of Religion uh, or the, I'm sorry, the Institute for the Works of Religion called the IOR, which is the Vatican Bank. And the deadline is September 30th. And because the Vatican Bank wants to have total control over all assets of, of the Catholic institution. What do you make of that? Had you even had you heard of that? Because I hadn't. What do you make of it? I haven't heard of it, but, you know, it doesn't surprise me. Um, again, changes are coming. Um, what those changes are, are certainly debatable. Maybe it's a new central bank digital currency. I am not sure, but I do think that certainly the changes are coming. And if you were going to make some sort of a sweeping change, certainly consolidating all of the funds or assets into one central location would be the best way to do it. Um, I don't know, Mike, I, I haven't heard that. I did see the headline actually, haven't had a chance to, to read it. I've been so busy and Actually, I'm in the hotel room in Madison, Wisconsin, bringing my daughter to college. So a little bit behind the curve. But, um, no, I, I think that, again, looking at it in the in the perspective of change on the way, I think it's coming. And I think it probably has something to do with some sort of, of change. And whether that be in world reserve currency uh, or um, or what, I'm not quite sure. But. There have been there's been a lot of talk about things happening here in September um, and and certainly leading up to the midterm. So I don't exactly know how to comment on that. I'm sorry. No, that's okay. I just kind of sprung that on you, but it it was a shocker to me, too. I I think it just shows that they're trying to reduce risk and have centralized control over these assets, because I think I think my, my guess is that they're anticipating systemic failure of banking systems or bank freezing or bank bail-ins in other jurisdictions. So uh, if you didn't trust the banks of all these different countries to stay solvent, you would say, you know, bring it all home first and we'll run it from here, right? That's what they're doing. Of course, because of the systemic nature of it. Absolutely. And, and you know, that's, that is exactly probably what they would be suspecting as as everything is so intertwined and, and systemic that as one bank goes, so can many others. And uh, uh, I think that's probably very astute uh, observation. And, and if, if it is the case and they are expecting something, uh, I think that's that's very concerning. So but that that's not a bad idea for everyone else to rein things in. And this is another reason why. I think it's important to own precious metals uh, right now is to, so to speak, remove yourself from the system because the one common thread to all of the things that I've been talking about is a, and this great reset probability uh, is of um, the inverse correlation between rising interest rates and literally every asset in this country that people view as, as wealth, stocks, bonds, and real estate, and, 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 and the dollar. And if you were to see, as an example, uh, the BRICS nations come out and say, hey, you know, uh, Saudi Arabia has now joined us, and we are going to 
Uh, OPEC is now going to trade um, uh, oil in rupee, ruble, uh, gold, um, you know, yuan, euro, and dollars. And all of those dollars came flooding home in one day. Oh, those dollars would, would become <laughs> hot potatoes. And, and that's when you see this type of systemic blow up where in a matter of hours, markets trade limit down, everything blows up. And everything in this country that is considered wealth is inversely correlated to that one event. And that's the fragility of the entire system. And if you talk about bringing stuff home and putting it in one location to try to keep sheltered from that type of deal, yeah, I I would believe it. And these are the things that I think people need to focus on. The Fed is the sideshow. It is the the probability. There are no guarantees in the world. We we deal in probabilities. But I think the probability that we see that announcement, they've already come out and told us that, that Saudi Arabia is going to join. They've already come out and told us that they're going to challenge world reserve currency. They have a three-year beta test, almost $20 billion in successful transactions on the digital yuan. Well, what if they use that technology to coalesce a BRICS currency and issue what is the only other tier one reserve asset in the world, gold, and peg it to a new BRICS nation's currency? Mm-hmm. In a matter of seconds, everything blows up. And, and that is, she told me that was the kind of thing they're preparing for. I'm like, yeah, I would say it's, it's, it's certainly wise decision to do that. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Well, we've already covered a lot of ground, Andy, and we're out of time for tonight, but uh, I got to thank you so much, uh, not just for joining us, but also for what you do. And you're educating a lot of people across a lot of different channels, like the Liberty and Finance channel. I'm also a fan of their work and, and, uh, you know, you're connected with a lot of great people. So keep doing what you're doing. And you're going to, frankly, the advice you're putting out there is going to help a lot of people survive this because they're going to have physical metals in their hands when the fiat currency crashes and burns. And that's, that's going to be life-saving. So thank you. Well, I feel the same way about you and everything that you're doing. And honestly, it's a true honor to be asked to come on your show and uh, take a, a small part in, in helping you do what you do. So right back at you and again a much much appreciation and you know in a world that's so dynamic and continues to change uh, i am always just but a phone call away i'd love to jump on anytime you need me and uh, we'll hopefully look forward to picking up not too far down the road where we left off like but again i do appreciate okay you got it i'll, I'll reach out the, the day the dollar dies you'll get a call from me but then again you'll probably be too busy to be interviewed by anybody on that day <laughs> you'll, yeah, your phone well, will be ringing off the hook <laughs> i i hope it's not for quite some time as i mentioned i'm I'm bringing my second and my third three children to uh, to college here in, in wisconsin and you know I'm i'm all about patriotism and hoping the u.s can pull out of this nosedive let's hope we can but in the meantime I'll certainly be be watching and reporting best I can. I know you will too, and I'll look forward to to chatting with you again real soon. All right. Have a great evening. Thank you, Andy. Take care now. You too, Mike. Thank you, buddy. All right. A global reset is coming, and that's why I've recorded a new nine-hour audio book. It's called The Global Reset Survival Guide. You can download it for free by subscribing to the naturalnews.com email newsletter, which is also free. I'll describe how the monetary system fails. I also cover emergency medicine and first aid and what to buy to help you avoid infections. So download this guide. It's free. It's my gift to you simply because I want like-minded people to survive. 